Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. All right, we are continuing and finishing our series, God, Money, Me. This morning. This is our fourth part. It was interrupted by Dr. Ray Andrews last week as he spoke, uh, which was incredible. Uh, he was out of control last week. Uh, he was great. I, he was just out of control, which is amazing. But uh, I'm just going to get back to our series that we started uh, four weeks ago. And uh, this is a series, obviously, like the title suggests, about God, money, and me. We're talking about our relationship with Money. The reason I feel to share this is twofold. One, because Jesus spoke more about money than faith. He spoke more about money than heaven. He spoke more about money than hell. He spoke more about money than prayer. It was an important subject to Jesus. It didn't mean it was more important than prayer, faith, heaven or hell. But it has an incredible importance in our lives. And Jesus was forever addressing the relationship between God's people and money. The other reason I feel to share this uh, particular message on this particular subject at this particular time is because we are coming into the Christmas period and it is uh, known as the silly season and we don't want the silly season to be any sillier because we do silly things with our finance. Uh, you may say, why, why, why do you get so uptight about that? Well, as a pastor, we have to deal with the fallout. As a pastor, we have to deal with the financial tension. Sometimes that manifests in divorce and separation and all those things because of the financial tension that comes because people do not have a healthy relationship with their finance. And so it's really important for me as a pastor to share this to keep us well away from the problems that money can cause. Money is a blessing and money is a tool if we use it wisely. And so that's why we're sharing on this particular uh, subject right now. Um, in weeks one and two, we looked at seven laws of financial health and all of our messages are available to download free of charge. Um, and you can get them on our website or on our iTunes account or podcast. Uh, feel free to do that. Week three, Kath spoke brilliantly about the art of being content when it comes to our finances. And today, I want to look at the law of sowing and reaping. Everyone say sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping is a universal law. Everyone say universal law. See, sowing and reaping is not a Christian thing, as some people think it is. Sowing and reaping is not an old covenant thing, as some people think that it is. No, sowing and reaping transcends time, religion and belief systems. It affects every sphere of life, including family, business and politics. And it even affects our finances. In Proverbs 11 verse 18, it says, A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. This scripture is particularly, uh, specifically sorry, talking about money. And so today I thought I would uh, give us some thoughts and insights to help us understand the principle of sowing and reaping, especially when it comes to our finances. And the first thing I want to say is simply this. Number one, that everything starts 
as a seed. You've got to catch this. Everything starts as a seed. Nothing in life starts fully grown. A tree, no matter how big it gets, starts as a seed. You might go to Newman's uh, Nursery or Virginia Nursery and buy a sapling and think, I, I, I bought a baby tree. No, no, that tree was a lot smaller once upon a time. Even a sapling is much larger than how it started. It started in seed form. It started in a very, very tiny form. A building starts in a very tiny form. We look at this building today, but this building started in seed form. And before a trench was dug or a foundation laid, it started as a seed in someone's mind. It started as an idea and that idea got put onto paper and that paper got drawn into plans and those plans began a process. But it started in seed form. This building that we are a part of, that we get the privilege to sit in, that keeps us out of the weather, that gives us air conditioning in the summer and it gives us heating in the winter, did not start like this, but it started in seed form. Artwork, some of the great masterpieces around the world, all started in seed form. You may have noticed when you walked in today that the wall had been decorated with some Christmas decorations. That did not just start there. It started in seed form. Marilyn at the back there had a thought, had an idea, had a seed drop into her heart and she put that seed onto paper and that paper went onto the wall and then she called the experts in to paint it. And I got the help of my little apprentice, BJ, to help me finish the masterpiece. But it didn't just start there. Look at the person next to you. Look to the other side. Look at the other person. See, even you began as a seed. You know, that even you began as a seed. Every one of us in this room, we beat off millions of others and we are the winners. You are a winner. Do you know that? All these millions of other little fellas, we outswam them all. And we started in C4. You may look at your child or yourself as a baby, they are so small. But the smallest of babies is much bigger than how that baby started. We all started in seed form. Nothing ever arrives fully grown. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings. See, I think when it comes to our finances, often we think, well, I don't have much. I only have a few dollars. I don't have as much as the Joneses or the Smiths or the Browns. And we despise what we actually do have because we don't see what we have because we only see the smallness of what we have. But what we need to understand is anything great in life starts as a seed. It starts as something small and minuscule and seemingly insignificant. And we need to understand this as a principle. 
In Job chapter 8, verse 7, it says, And though you started with little, you will end with much. If we understand this principle, and if we work with it, we could have far more uh, in our future. I, I thank God for this church to be able to have our chapel service and be speaking to you at our 10 a.m. service and going into our 6 p.m. service is a real privilege, it's a real honour, it's a real joy. It is. But it never started here. You see, 21 years ago, myself and 12 others started and it was small and everything was in seed form. We had one keyboard and the keyboard was tiny. And all that we see today started from that moment. And it's easy to look at this and think that this is where it started, but this is not where it started. It started some time back and it started much, much smaller than this. Number one, everything begins as a seed. Number two, nothing happens until the seed is planted. Unplanted seed is rendered useless. It doesn't matter if a farmer has a barn full of seed. Until he sows that seed, he will never reap a harvest. And the same is true for you and for me. We will never see success if we do not use what we have. And so we've got to stop complaining about what we don't have and start looking at what we do have and then using it. I feel like there are so many people that are just waiting on God to do something when in actual fact, more often than not, God is now waiting on us to do something with what He's already given. To our young people, you might be like, no, no, no girls date me, no girl wants to go out with me. To which I would say, have you even asked anybody yet? Because back in the day, that's what used to happen. We used to talk. Unless you've moved to a higher level where you no longer use words and it's just, we read each other's mind. But seriously, there's some practical steps in the dating game. The same is true when it comes to a job. Oh, there's no jobs out there. There are hundreds of jobs out there. My question is, have you written up a resume? And have you knocked on people's doors? I can promise you this. If we would write a resume and start knocking on some doors, you will get a job. You might not get the first job that you knock on. You might not get the second, the third or the tenth. But if you keep doing it, you will get a job. And it may not be the job that you want, but that's fine. That's your starting place. And that job that you get that you don't want is going to give you experience. It's going to teach you some things. And it's something else you're going to be able to put on your resume. And you're going to be able to work toward getting a better job. Because unless you sow your seed, you'll never reap a harvest. And God has placed things within us that are there to be planted so that we can reap a harvest. See, not even prayer can help an unwilling sower. People often say, God, what are you doing? To which I think God is saying back, no, 
what are you doing? God, what's going on? And God says, I would like to know the same thing. Because God expects us to use what He's given us. Planting requires faith. And God responds to faith. In Hebrews 11, it says it's impossible to please God without faith. And so God gives a seed. And God expects us to bury the seed. He expects us to leave the seed. And we are to believe that it will grow. And this is what faith is. Faith is believing in the laws of God that it will grow. We plant it, we water it, we leave it, and we believe God will in fact grow it. In John chapter 12, verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels a plentiful harvest of new lives. God is wanting us to use what He has given us. And all of us have been given something to use. Number three, what I sow, I will reap. What I sow, I will reap. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 25 it says, God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. In the economy and law of God, God expects each to reproduce after its own kind. And so if you plant apple seeds into the ground, you're going to get apples because apple seeds reproduce after its own kind. You can't plant apple seeds and expect to get pears. If you want pears, you need to change the seed. You can't keep doing what you've always done and expect a different result. If you plant apple seeds, you'll get apples. If you plant pear seeds, you'll get pears. If you plant banana seeds, you're going to get bananas. Ripe bananas! Ripe, ripe bananas! That's what you're going to get. What you sow is what you get. And it applies to every area in life. And it works for the positive and it works in the negative. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 7 to 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This principle is a universal principle. Some may have heard it said this way, what goes around 
comes around. In other words, if you sow friendship, you will reap friendship. If you sow generosity, you will reap generosity. But if you sow gossip, you will reap gossip. If you're wondering why people are gossiping about you, it could be because of the seed you're sowing. If you're wondering why that you don't have any friends, it could be the seed you're sowing. You know, this church may not be a lot of things, but there are some things that it is. And this church is indeed a friendly church. You would go hard to find a friendlier church. If you are visiting, you are going to get welcomed. I promise you that. Not by one person, not by two people, but by a plethora of people. They are going to come and welcome you. And if you didn't want to be welcomed this morning, you probably shouldn't have come here. You are in for a hiding. If there's one thing this church is, among other things, it is a friendly church. And yet, I've had some people come and say, that church wasn't friendly. That church wasn't friendly. And everything about their being suggests that maybe the problem is within them. That they have not got a seed of friendliness within them. They stand there like this, with a snarl on their face, judging everyone and everything. It's hard to minister and speak to and befriend Someone who is sowing that kind of vibe. I, I never forget many years ago, I went up to somebody, they were new to our church. I didn't know that they were a church person and I slapped them on the back and said, hey, how you going? And they said, ah, the pastor's touch. <laughs> like what? I'd never heard that term before. To this day, I don't even know what it means. <laughs> the pastor's touch. But he, impl- he was implying something. And what he was implying was not genuine. What, is it, what he was implying was birthed out of something that was in him and it was birthed out of something that he had experienced and to that day had not got over. And now it was going to put on to every other pastor who tried to reach out to them yeah. with the term, oh, the pastor's touch. I think he was implying that we just have to do that. And at that moment, I thought, I don't have to do this. And right now, I wish I hadn't. <laughs> There's a lot of other people who would have welcomed my pastor's touch. <laughs> so at this moment, I wish I hadn't. But such is the nature of people. You will reap what you sow. You cannot sow laziness and expect to get rewarded. You cannot expect to marry the woman of your dreams, fellas, if you just want to be a slob. What's going on over there? What is going on over there? I don't know if that was an applause for you know, what I said for the young people or it was an applause like, hope you're listening, honey. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Probably a bit of both. 
But, but seriously, I listen to some of the young guys and the young girls, what this man or woman should be and all that, and they've got their list. Can I just say, beware of the list? Because I can promise you this, not even Jesus matches that list. Be aware of the list. But you know what? If you want a kind, caring woman, be a kind, caring man. If you want to have some financial security, how about be financially secure yourself? Why should we bring debt into the relationship? Why should we bring dysfunction into the relationship? Now, I know we're all dysfunctional at some level. And we're all a work in progress. I get that. But remember this. We reap what we sow. Someone once said, sow, to sow a thought, you reap an act. If you sow an act, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a destiny. Number four. We are not the only ones sowing. See, not only are you sowing, but everyone else is sowing something too. And we reap what others have sown. And that works for the positive and the negative. We reap good things that others have sown. There are many of you in this auditorium this morning that did not paint these walls or were not involved in the building process. Others went before you. And you're living in the benefit of what others have sown. And there are many, many people that work many, many hours to make this facility what it is today. And you shouldn't feel bad about that at all. You should just feel very, very grateful that you are sitting in the blessing of what someone else has sown. I remember back in year 2000 being asked to speak at a conference. It was in the city of Bloemfontein in South Africa and it was quite a large gathering of people, about 5,000 people. And of all the team, people on the team that I was part of at that time, I was asked to share, which was an incredible honour. And i never forget what happened. I stood up on stage and there I was speaking to the masses and yet having a dialogue with God. It's one of those incredible moments in my life that's lived with me ever since that time. I was preaching to the people and yet at the same time I'm having this conversation with God. People were laughing, enjoying, interacting and I'm talking to God. And God said this to me, he said, how did you get here? Now remember, I'm preaching, but I'm having this conversation with God. And I'm like, how did I get here? It was year 2000, I was 30 years of age, being asked to speak in a fairly large context, something I never saw myself ever doing. That's a very good question. How on earth did I get here? And as I'm preaching to the people and dialoguing with God, I start thinking, wow, I'm here because of mum and dad. And I came in seed form beat off millions of other fellas. 
but I was groomed and fashioned as a young man by my mum and dad. I was schooled by many different teachers, both good and bad, and they all taught me something. All helped make me who I am today. One, two, bang! The good teachers, Mrs. Caney, the not so good teachers, Mrs. Matthews. Go home. Poor Nigel. Ms. Matthews, you always know, whenever there's a Ms. involved, anyway, <laughs> taught me something. My time working with my dad was incredible time. As a young apprentice, 15 years of age, working with my dad was just happy days. Love those times. Awesome. Then at the age of 18, I met Paul Benithan, and he was a pastor of the local church that we were a part of, and for five and a half years, he mentored and tutored me and taught me some things, and forever grateful for that. And then after that, Tony Ashdown was the one who actually planted us out. I wasn't as close to him as I was to Paul, but he was the man that released us into what we see today, and I'll be forever grateful for that. Then I started thinking about the day where I met Rob Rufus, who introduced me to Chris Veenan, who many of you would know, and, and he introduced me to a man by the name of Dudley Daniel, who led the New Covenant Ministries team, and it was that team that I became part of, and it was that conference that I was speaking at, and I thought, wow, this really does not have a lot to do with me. I really am reaping where others have sown. I'm like, wow. I mean, I love my dad. My dad's taught me so much of what I know and so much of what you hear, but I get to share it. It's like, wow, how did that happen? And that's not to even start on the incredible God who made it all possible. And I, I just, I just remember being just incredibly grateful. I remember God just saying, stay humble. And I remember living with that, and that's never left me. It is an amazing thing because over the period of time, I've been accused of all sorts of things, being big-headed, arrogant, narcissistic, etc., etc., etc. But that's not my heart at all. If you actually listen to my message, I'm just a kid who left school earlier than most, became a sign writer, worked for my dad. I've never been to a job interview ever. God somehow has just graced me to do what I'm doing. My testimony is not about me. My testimony is the incredible goodness of God and the incredible goodness of others who have invested into me. I think I've been good at being a sponge and just taking in everything. But, but don't confuse big-headedness with white sneakers. This is just personality. This is just me. They just look awesome on me. I mean, you know. Don't, 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 get, don't confuse big-headedness with looking awesome in white sneakers. And if my good looks bother you, take that up with God. He made me like this. It's just, that's not big-headedness. That's just me acknowledging what God has made. I just, it's not... That's personality. But I'm very humbled every day that I get this privilege to do what I do. Because I feel least of all qualified. Most of you in this room are far more qualified than I am. And yet God, by his grace and sovereignty, for whatever reason, has chosen me to do this. And I've never lost sight of that. It's incredibly humbling. But it's beautiful. And I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to spend my life apologizing for the opportunity God has given me.
I thank God for this opportunity. It's awesome. It's an amazing privilege. And so I preached at Bloemfontein, got down, everyone loved it. And I remember going and saying, God, this is amazing. So I'm a great believer in receiving the praises of people. To say, oh no, I think it's weird. I think we need to take those praises. But where a lot of people go wrong is either they don't receive them, and then it just becomes awkward, like, man, you're just a hard, hard person to compliment. You ever, have you ever met a person like that? You try and do it right now. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you look beautiful, you look amazing. Just say something nice. It just gets awkward. See, humility is not denying what is true. That's not humility. Humility is not denying what is, not, uh, what is true. That was good. Oh, no, it wasn't. If someone says you're beautiful, that's true. Because God made you and God doesn't make rubbish. It's, it's false humility. When you say, no, I'm not, you're offending God. And I say, thank you, I am. And people think I'm being big-headed. No, I'm just acknowledging the truth about who God made me. Yeah. There's a lot of other things I'm just really not good at. I acknowledge that. I know what I'm good at. And I know why I'm good at it. Because of what God has sown into me and what others have sown into me. And let's acknowledge that. That's not, human, that's, not, um, that's not pride in and of itself. I think it's actually wrong of us to have all these people invest in us and, and then not acknowledge that. And so what I like to do with the praises that come my way, I'll take it and say thanks. And on a daily basis, I go to God and I say, God, you heard all those things that were said about me? This unschooled, ordinary fella who's never been to a job interview? Um, this can only be for one reason, your goodness to me. And I just take all those things that people said to me, and I just give it to you. You're amazing, Lord. You're incredible. I love you. You're amazing. And I always say this, can I still wear my white sneakers? And he says, I'm, I'm cool with that. God, God is so down with my white sneakers, it's not funny. And the clothes that I wear, it's, it's people who have issues, not God. That's what I find. I say, God, am I... I ask my wife how I look and I ask God how I look. Are you with me? We also read bad things, not just the good things. The bad things like abuse. Maybe you was abused as a child. That, that has ramifications in your life. And as pastors, we're dealing with that all the time. You know, it makes no sense to me why someone would cut themselves. In the natural, for me, it makes no sense. But when you've grown up in an abusive home... And it's all you know. Yeah. We have to cross over. And we realize we're not dealing with cutting. It's not the issue. Because if not, why would you do this? But it's not about the cutting. It's about 
the deep-rooted issues of abuse. Some of you have experienced divorce growing up, and it's affected you. It's affected the way you see marriage today. There's been a generation that does not, does not want to get married because of it didn't work for their mum and dad. And often we're left with their harvest. One thing that often gets thrown our way is people will say, I'm my own person. I can do what I want. The trouble is, that's not true. You can't just do what you want. Whatever you do has bearing on others. It affects others. It has implications on others. You know, the Bible says that we're not our own. We've been bought and purchased with a price. And that price that we are purchased with becomes costly to us. I'm free in Christ, but it doesn't mean I can do whatever I want. I'm so free in Christ, I can divorce my wife. But let's be honest, if, if you got wind that Kath and I had split up, do you think that would affect some people? And just that, yes, is weighty for me. Not that I want to divorce, we don't even think about it. It's not even an issue. I've got three good reasons to stay married. Jordan, Mitchell, and BJ. I've got, I'm putting aside, I love it a bit, so it's not an issue, but just, if for no other reason. And I've got a church that it would drastically affect Because I know some of you in your marriage, you're holding on and, and you're using our marriage as an as a example. Fix you. I want you to know I'm not going to divorce my wife. She won't let me. <laughs> but, but I meant it when I said, till death do us part. To which she says that can be arranged. <laughs> But I realise I'm not as free as I actually thought I was. I'm not my own like I thought I was. But aren't you free in Christ? Yes, but I've got responsibilities. If I announced next week that I was leaving, I think that would have a bearing on some of you. But I'm free to leave, surely. Aren't I? <laughs> so I'm trapped then. He does has a bearing. And, and so, however I'm feeling and whatever I'm thinking surrenders to others. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said this, if this cup can be removed, if I could get a divorce, if I could just quit on people, if I could just leave, put it in your context. But he surrenders that thought to this, not my will, but yours be done. Because I know that there is a sowing and reaping principle that takes place. 
And so I'm not free just to do whatever I want to do. And so here we are 21 years later, doing what we're doing. 24 years later, being married. And can I just add this, that being married and leading this church is a joy. It is. But I'm talking about those tough days. Those days when you don't feel like. Remember those days. And contrary to popular belief, even pastors have those days occasionally. And one of the things that helps me is knowing that I'm not my own. I can't just do whatever I want to do. I've got kids, I've got a wife, I've got a church. And it's not just this church, it's other pastors in the city. And it's other pastors that we've ministered to and churches ministered around the world. I put a photo of our stage design up last week on social media and all the comments from around the world over a stage, just a stage. What would that look like if it was to do with my personal life? We're not our own. We reap what we sow, but we also reap what others sow. I reap the benefits of a team. They make me look better than I am at times. And they make me look worse than I am at times. I reap the benefits and the blessings. And I reap the pain and the confusion. On a good day, it's a great day. And on a bad day, uh, and and people are struggling. This is what happens if if our team is struggling. They'll say, "Um, Tony said... And I can look anything but who I really am. On a good day, I can look much better than I actually am. We reap where others have sown. When you buy a goat, and I trust you're all going to buy a goat for Christmas. You've got to get a goat. We're going to buy a goat. And you're not going to benefit from it. But we are going to sow, and others are going to benefit from what we have sown. Others are going to take the goat that we've bought for $30. And they're going to feed that goat. You say, well, hang on, how much does it cost to feed a goat? Not much. They eat anything. (laughs) Just got to let the goat wander. Just walk down to next door neighbours. Just walk. That's it. Eat away. Eat your heart. There you go. You know where the the grass is green on the other side of the fence? Go there. Eat. (laughs) And then get you nice and fat. And come a certain time on the Muslim calendar, they're going to take their goat and they're going to sell it and take that $30 investment and turn it into $130. They're going to reap where they did not sow. It's called being a blessing. So once you get a goat for Christmas, you've got to get a goat. Because it's about us sowing. And someone else is going to reap. And when they're reaping the benefits, I hope they can say, how did that happen? Well, there's a church in dear old Adelaide that we haven't even met. And we're living in the blessing of that. Thank you, Lord. So that all things, we give glory to God.
It's the red frogs going out, giving all their water and their frogs and their icy poles. Got in a conversation last night with my red frogs t-shirt on and my red frogs hat on. Just part of a team for the day or half a day. And got into a conversation. This guy starts talking about all sorts of things and trying to make it a religious debate. I said, we're here for one reason. Just to hydrate people who've had too much alcohol. Put some sugar in their system so that things don't get out of hand. So that those who are on security and those that are policing the stadium can have a good day. That's why we're here. That's it. I thought, oh, I'll make a good red frog. <laughs> you can play all you like. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I'm not going to be intimidated by your keyboard. Let's get the band up here. I'll miss a few points out. Let me finish with this one. The time to plant is now. The time to plant is now. Not one day. Make it today. We want to sow now for tomorrow. And the sooner you plant, the sooner you reap a harvest. If something's going to take you 30 days to reap a harvest, guess what? If you start today, it's only 30 days away. It may seem like a long time, but it's only 30 days. If you start tomorrow, it's 30 days plus one. It's 31 days. If you, wait, if you wait till next year, it's one year and 30 days. If you start today, today is the shortest time possible to reap a harvest. Start today. I've never known a convenient time to give an offering. Our heart for the house offering I've never thought, oh, gee, let's take up heart for the house this month because I am loaded with cash. I've got so much cash, I don't know what to do with it. Let's just take up a heart for the house offering. It's never convenient. It's never convenient. I can't tell you, every Sunday is just a convenient day to take up an offering. It's not convenient. It's a choice. And I choose today to give. And when it comes to bringing an offering to our house, the church, that day for me Sunday, I'm going I'm to give every week. How often should you give? As often as you're paid. But I'm paid fortnightly. Well, give fortnightly. There's Morgan. How you doing, mate? Did we just say goodbye to you and give you a gift? Do you want another gift or something? <laughs> You're like a boomerang. Let's stand. It's the pursuit of perfection that paralyzes potential. There's never a perfect time. There's no perfect day. There's just today. Stop waiting for the perfect time. I tell our songwriters, just, just get a song down. Oh, but it's not finished. It never will be. Just get it down. As an artist, 
doing signs and artwork on a regular basis. You just had to come to a place where you say, that's it, it's finished. Because there's always something more you can do to it. There's always one more touch, one more. And you just have to say, you know what? It's just, it might not be perfect, but it's finished. Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished. He didn't say, oh, and one more thing. Imagine that. He gave up his, his... Oh, hang on. Waiting for this perfect... Just get it down. Get it out. Give it up. Put it in. But when I'm a millionaire, I'll do, no, no, do it now. Get your 10 bucks and put in $1. Do it now. Do it now. Do it today. Make a commitment today. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 